Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Wow! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and you're locked into the final Mile High Hockey Podcast of the 2016-2017 regular season. Buckle in for what could be a bit of a long one, we'll see, as we do our best to nuke our memories of this year from orbit, hand the abs some NHL awards, and marvel at the current staffing patterns of your Colorado Avalanche. I'm Steph, and joining me are Earl. Hello, Earl. How's it going, eh? And Ryan, hi to you. Yo! So, as we look back this evening at whatever this season was. As I look back at injured defensemen, snake-bitten forwards, senior citizens rolling big minutes, woeful goaltending, questionable prospect use, and one of the worst NHL offenses in recent memory. Earl, do you still have that stat from earlier? Yeah. Uh, I, I went and looked it up today. In the expansion era, or modern era, if you like, the Avs, are 1143rd out of 1148 teams as far as goals scored per game. <laughs> so not the worst. Not the worst. There's five teams worst, including the Wild back in, I think, 11-12. And two Sabres teams, and I think there was a Coyotes in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's historically bad. So as we look back at all of this, I can't help but feel as if I've booked a trip on my own personal sports Hindenburg. <laughs> I call it the Hinden Looper, and for distant listeners who don't get that joke, Google Colorado Governor. It rose into the sky, never very high, but at least it was a worthwhile watch, and then suddenly, spectacularly, and irrevocably, it exploded and crashed hard to the earth, never to rise again. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of sports blogging's great traditions to hand out player grades at the end of every season and if your show chooses to do this power to you but i reject tradition i see a team with 48 standings points and i award f's all around you may say that's not fair to miko rantanen who scored 20 goals as a rookie of course it's during the season that austin matthews doubled that up in the center of the hockey universe so only you and i noticed um but i say it's not fair to make us sit through 82 games of the hinden looper so we're even <clears throat> But in lieu of grades, we do have some accolades to award, and before we get there, I'd like to give Earl and Ryan a chance to say any words of summation that they think are appropriate for that shit show. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned uh, the end of year players' grades, because uh, we do that every year at Mile High Hockey, and uh, last year we kind of had a fan vote that, you know, allowed us to, you know, solicit help from everybody, and I just don't see any way you can vote anything but F's almost all the way around. I mean, I'm not sure how anybody could take that exercise seriously. I mean, it was truly that bad. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's either Fs or, you know, like if you want to give Andrew Ghetto a small sample size or incomplete or whatever, you know, something like that. But, um, you know, it, it, it seems pretty non-productive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. Do something else for fun. <laughs> but uh, it ain't going to be like grading players because – what is there left to say? Yeah, I mean, I have several articles, you know, jittering around in my mind, and it's just, you know, how negative do you want to be about it? I mean, you're kind of you're kind of beating a dead nail. Yeah, it's gotten hard. I mean, I, I all year long, you know, I I didn't do player grades per game, and 
there's a reason for that. Yeah. I mean, how repetitive do I want to be about the same issues every night about the same players? Um, it gets old to read and it gets old to write about. I mean, there's just, uh, it's kind of hard to hone in on one particular thing. It's, or even a few particular things when so much is getting going wrong at any one point in time. Yeah, or you feel, you know, like someone has a great game and you, you start heaping praise on them in the next next game. They just look like garbage and you're just like, you know, why, right. why did he even bother saying that about that guy? Right. You know, it's just, it, it, it's his own thing uh, this past season. It, it's not like anything I've witnessed, not even the strike shortened season or the lockout shortened year where, they also had the number one overall pick and the worst record. Uh, that was bad. It wasn't this bad. And the beauty of that one is it was short. It wasn't 82 games worth. It didn't feel short. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I just, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, it, it really looks like on paper, this is probably the worst team in the modern era that didn't set out to be really bad. And right. And I think we're going to look back and, you know, historians of hockey will look back and look at the players on that team and go, why? Yeah. Uh, I mean, these are players that were previously successful, you know, in other years of playing hockey and uh, fell flat on their face along with all the rest of their teammates. They all did it together. Yeah, and, and like disparate media sources and, and Twitter sources and are, are all like, you know, I thought the Avs were going to be a lot better because of this and that. You know, it, one guy will cite advanced stats improvement. Another guy will say, you know, there's talent here, talent there. They look like they should do a lot more than they have. I mean, eye test, stats, whatever you want to say. I mean, it just, it just didn't add up. Yep. I mean, I think if there's one thing we probably should say, uh, at least to harken back at the beginning of the year um, – clearly Patrick Waugh leaving as head coach had a negative effect on this team uh, in a way that we could not anticipate. And uh, I'm not sure if, you know, this team was necessarily benefiting from a coaching style that we all deemed was, you know, archaic, but uh, they suffered from not having him behind the bench. You know, I, I, I get the argument that having Patrick diss the team and walk out in August was sort of a blow to the ego of a lot of the players. And, and I'm sure there was a hangover effect from that, but you know, 20 games, maybe I just can't see all 82 being Patrick Waugh's fault. Yeah. Uh, you know, I see, I see a lot of things that, that, that Bednar is different than Patrick in that he's, you know, he's more, about accountability um he's more about discipline and i think patrick was very permissive um you know maybe, maybe not towards the end but i you know i think the culture sh- change was kind of a shock to a lot of the guys that we don't like uh, i.e the veterans <laughs> and you know that kind of screwed things up for them they just you know they they didn't want a rah-rah guy they didn't want a guy that was you know, all about trying hard all the time. And, and, you know, they were good with Patrick being sort of laid back with veterans. <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, they, the water it, got poison and it just kept, you know, pouring it back on itself. I mean, yeah. it just, you know, didn't stop. 
Injuries didn't help, but that's not the primary reason either. I think the roster is constructed should have been able to withstand a few of those. Like yeah, they do every I, year. I I don't and in another vein, I don't I, I don't buy that this team was made for Wah. because um, obviously he didn't like it. Um <laughs> <laughs> None of us do. <laughs> yeah, and I just I I don't think that Patrick was sitting there like you know we we need to keep veterans past their their good till date um, and not get anything for him. I, I you know I I think he's a little bit more savvy as a, a manager of players. Um, you know I, I I blame a lot of this on Joe Sackett for just you know keeping guys too long, not getting anything for them, and and not creating a team that can work for Patrick Waugh or Jared Bednar. Yep. Deserves part of the blame at minimum. I mean, it has to be Waugh's team at least somewhat for all the, uh, for all the, uh, the breaks that people want to give Patrick for, or for give Sackick because Patrick's was influence was this, and Patrick's influence was that. I mean, but so, like, I, I, I think it ended up being the reason he left was that his influence yeah. was starting to be, and less. the team got worse. So what does that say? So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't say anything good about the current status yeah, of the Avalanche's no. staff page on their website, which, as of uh, right now, which is no. eight Eastern Monday, no changes. And you know, zero changes. No assistants flipping, no scouting staff well, flipping, nothing. Scouting staff is voodoo. They they usually don't even change that. I mean, the, they made a bunch of changes last year that we didn't even hear about till after the draft, but we knew about it a couple weeks beforehand. But, you know, we'll see. The, the abs have their way of disseminating information. I mean, Terry Fry released an article, what, yesterday about, uh, you know, Bednar staying. Not doing it. And maybe a couple of quotes from Sackick. He didn't mention anything else. I didn't read that article. Is there anything um, uh, revealing about that? About when he was talking to Joe in, in Dallas? Yeah. Um, yeah, he basically, I mean, obviously both those guys are operating on the assumption that they're going to be back next year. And, I mean, at this point, there's no reason not to. Um, <laughs> Clean house. I, I thought that article was kind of disturbing because it sounded like what they're going to do is fight back with a lot of um, conditioning this summer. And, you know, while I agree that that, that, you know, that could be a factor. And I know that was something that, that Bednar was not happy with throughout the season. Um, you know, it's, it's just one part of the problem. Yep. And but maybe I, a very minor it, one. Yeah. Maybe having the guys in Denver, uh, working out together over the summer is going to, you know, do something as far as camaraderie or team whatever. I don't know. Going to watch Miracle on Ice a couple times together. I, well, yeah. I remember reading. Yeah. I, I remember reading something exactly to that effect in that article is that it was kind of the twin focus, you know, like we're going to we're gonna get better in shape and we're going to be a closer team, whatever that means. As, as if this team as constructed would be not a 48-point right. team That's if not the difference. was happier. Yeah, it's like if everyone was happier and in better shape, this team would be better. I mean, you know, you could say that about, you know, anything. Right. 
<laughs> said about the Washington. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> if only the Capitals were happier. <laughs> yeah, 120 point team. It's not 164. Yeah, I mean, better. if let's say they're happier, let's say they're in better shape. I mean, how many more points in the standings that equal? You know, maybe what eight? I mean, that's still a 56 know. point team. And that's still goddamn terrible. Is conditioning going to stop a puck? Is conditioning going to suddenly turn your fourth line into no, a scoring but threat? Conditioning together might do something like the guys that, that did have some chemistry at the end of the year. You know, you're looking at the top two lines and in and, and the third, even towards the end with when Jost came up. Um, you know, it, if you start to build some chemistry on, on more than a sort of five game set to five game set basis, uh, maybe that helps out. Maybe that, you know, gets them above two goals per game. I'm up for whatever Anything. gets them above two Voodoo. goals per game. I mean, that was Juju, the, that, Voodoo that, and Juju. That was the most disturbing thing about the entire season is no matter what they did, no matter how they much better or even worse they looked on the ice, they pretty much averaged two goals per game throughout most of the season. Um, and not finding a way to change that in any meaningful way is very disturbing. I'm glad it's over, guys. <laughs> well, I I am too, but let's, let's break this worst offense ever thing down a little bit farther. Um, not a lot farther, but a little bit farther. What do you attribute that um, to? I, I look at what they do in the offensive zone, and I don't see I, I don't see the way that they're playing in the offensive zone as a good way to develop scoring chances that are going to actually turn into goals. So we decided at the beginning of the year that was too many shots from the points. Um, I, too many predictable shots from the point. That's obviously not something that persisted all year long. What else are you seeing? I, I think the at even strength, I would agree that that changed a little bit as the year went on. But in on the power play, on the other hand, on the league worst by by a full percent and a half, twelve point six percent power play, which is shocking. <coughs> it's not point just shots point shots; it, they're point shots from the middle. Which is exactly where it's like the worst place in the entire offensive zone to shoot a puck from, other than directly behind the net. Um, it, it's it's where the most traffic is, and traffic is good. You want to screen, but if there's four defenders right in front of you, it's never going to work. Your odds aren't good. Yeah. Plus, you even know? from a deflection standpoint, it's not a great angle to deflect a puck. No. I mean, straight down. Right. Exactly. And, and they, they took the, um, on the power play, they took the umbrella too far. The guy who's at the top of the umbrella stood in the top, in the middle, and that's not where you want to be. you got to have those three guys that are on the top sliding back and forth, and the two guys that are on the half board basically getting as low as possible when they can. And it's just, it, it, there's so many times you saw three guys above the circles either offensively 5v5 or on the power play. And you're just looking at it like, don't 
just don't be up there. There's nothing good that's going to happen up there. You're just <laughs> passing the puck around. You're boring. All you're doing is drawing your defender up into a zone that they can steal pucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, turn around for quick breakaways. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, it, there's just there's not a lot of movement in the offensive zone east-west. And, I mean, the best way to score, the, the way that the Avs got scored on six jillion times this year was puck movement to the opposite side. The guy on the weak side is left alone and has an easy tap-in for a goal. Mm-hmm. And Picks looks mopey. You know, it's like, we want to make someone else feel like Picks. Hey, breaking news. And it Dave is Ferris tangentially Avalanche-related. Oh, no. Well, he's a tangential I said tangentially, coach. not directly. <laughs> <laughs> the LA Kings have relieved Dean Lombardi Ooh. and Daryl Sutter both of their duties. And Ron no Blake surprises there at all. GM. Oh. Wow. So he's signing a Ginla to a contract and we're getting a draft pick? Is that the other part of the news? Do it, do it, do it. Give us that fourth. Yeah, good on Rob Blake, you know. Yeah, congrats to Rob Blake, the the gentleman. <laughs> Any of those uh, gentlemen want to join the Avalanche coaching staff and scouting department? <laughs> <laughs> I I can't stand Lombardi or Sutter, so you know I, I hope they stay far away from him. Right now, my big worry is that the Avs are going to try to bring in Sutter or Ruff in some capacity. Mm. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, uh, what about a defensive coach? I mean, what if he takes and over, you know, Farish's spot? We've got we, we've got a hundred defensive coaches like in the organization up. and zero offensive coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, as much as I hate Lindy Ruff, what Lindy Ruff does is what the Avs need. I just, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want him to be that guy. Also, I'm sure I just said the wrong thing <laughs> by quite a lot. What? Oh, you know the Coach Pratt. I'm, Nolan? I'm sure that I just gave him the wrong first name. I'm completely That's his name? It. Yeah, Nolan Pratt. I, no, you did it, it is, but it's not what I called him. I accused, I accused <laughs> him of being a Star Wars. Maybe he's a Star Dog champion. Did I... The Avalanches do not have Chris Pratt on their coaching staff. <laughs> and, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I said, that didn't feel right. <laughs> That's just wrong. hope no one on the Avs uh, coaching staff is a guardian of the galaxy. We'd be screwed. Well, maybe they'd have to go fuck off and do something, and then we could get replaced. <laughs> Would you... So far, no such luck. The, they Man, did. Goodbye, Willie. Luck today. I think we can all kind of agree that the Avalanche need to shake up the coaching staff a little bit, um, you know, make it more Bednar-like. I think there's a little bit of dead weight, you know, a couple of holdovers from the previous staff that could probably take off immediately. Um, you know, I, I think the team could benefit from somebody with some experience. I mean, Dave Ferris has tons of experience and he's awful. But right. I, I mean, I, I good think experience. He's, he, he's right. the number one, you know, dead weight coach. I mean, 
he's the second defensive coach. Um, I have no problem keeping Tim Army not behind the bench and not having anything to do with the offense. I think he's a good skills coach, and skills coaches are in vogue now. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. But they need somebody to be Bedner's right-hand man in the offensive zone because, you know, Bedner was a defenseman. He may claim to have a, a knowledge of all 200 feet of the ice, but he obviously can't get it done. So that that's where they need a lot of help. And what we've, we've really kind of glossed over this – most of the season, but I really think Francois there uh, lights on when nobody home all season. Um, every goalie in the organization got worse this year. Right. I mean, the goaltending was an utter crisis all season long, and that's the kind of performance that makes anybody's head roll at the end of the year. Yeah. I don't care what your previous reputation is. Uh, a new voice needs to be heard. You know, and, and, and people people wanted John Young, Filiatro to maybe step up to the avalanche and become the new goalie coach. But, you know, Spencer Martin's been god-awful since January. That's kind of when the Avs goalie started dropping off, and that's that's where I'm kind of thinking that maybe the goalie coaches started taking a powder. Right. Uh, I mean, Alaire's never been full-time. He's never lived in Colorado. Um, it's always been kind of a, you know, he's there when you need him type guy. Yeah. And I think very frequently in the second half of the season, he was not around. It's very difficult for us as fans who are not um, in the room or, you know, on the ice or all those lovely little O'Sullivan-esque euphemisms to, it's just tough for us to assess coaching, but when your goaltenders give up the exact same soft goal every game for three months. And he appears to be in position or has reacted to the play correctly, you know, but isn't getting in position. Right. Um, Something has gone horribly wrong with, you know, Calvin Pickard's short side. Yeah. And that is something that can be fixed. I mean, that's, you know, a good goalie coach explaining the difference between the goals going in and the goals not. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. The Avalanche needs somebody else in there next season. Yeah, and our, our good friend Dario was on Twitter last night saying that, you know, they should be all in on Jim Corsi, um, <laughs> the goaltending, former goaltending coach for the Blues. Um, you know, it's like, I, I know nothing about goaltending coaches. He's the only one that I know that's available that, that could be good. Um, but you know, that's a name brand coach that is currently unemployed as far as I know. Could help um, their, uh, you know, shot metrics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so I, I, that's 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 going to be a big thing this off season uh, because even even before most of the, even before a, even a small part of the season went by, we kind of knew that Alaire was not going to be back for next right. season. He was Waz guy. He's kind of on his last legs anyway. He's not a young yeah. man. And you know that's just that's that's been a, a just a horrible part of this franchise and both at the NHL and AHL level. 
Uh, yep. I mean, if the Avalanche have average goaltending this year, they're probably 12 points better. I mean, it's still not a good team necessarily, but this team got nowhere even close to average goaltending this year, and they probably should have. Yeah, and the tough part, even when Calvin had really good games, he made all the really difficult saves, and then he lets in the short side again. You know? He, he became <laughs> short Jonas Gustafsson this year. What a save! What a save! What a... That... You should. I, I, hmm. I watched him. Okay. He was playing for the Bakersfield Condors on Friday night, and he made some monster plays. I'll tell you that. <laughs> this is funny. Also tangential to the Avalanche. Good old Jonas uh, Sam Patrick Watt of the Kings, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Oh boy. I bet a Ginless sticks around and we get that draft pick. So I'm cheering for it. Well, they didn't win the Stanley Cup, so. No, they have to win the Stanley Cup, too. Oh, was that both? Yeah. No, it's one or the other. I'm sure it is. I'm I'm sure that it's not both. (laughs) I'm sure there was no way that pick was ever going to go to the Avalanche. Oh, it's obviously not going to go to the Avalanche either way. But the con- the condition is includes 2016-2017 playoff based conditions, or if they get in the resigns with Los Angeles, Colorado will receive a 2018 fourth round. It's an pick. or. Huh. It says or on cap friendly, which is I believe the best source we have available, and I don't know if I've it's 100 percent correct, but I think it's the best we got. With general fans, I've seen conflicting reports, Vegas's. so who knows? I, I mean, if Patrick goes to the Kings and re-signs Iggy and we get a fourth out of it, then I'm all for it. That would be a very Patrick Waugh move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, trade pick conditions are like the most complicated and least relevant thing in hockey reporting. Yeah. So if there's anything that's going to be wrong, it will be that. But I think they're hilarious. Especially now that it, the you, they really have to, like, the, the Shattenkirk conditions were the best ever. And, and there's no reason to go through it now because I think they're about a, a page worth of conditions. But <laughs> the fact that, you know, fourths and thirds in 19 or the 2019, 2020, <clears throat> you know, are, are, are so finely valued in a trade like that is just fun. Makes me giggle that, that they're always just, the, it's just so granular, yeah. so fine details. And especially when you're talking about whether it's, whether it's a fifth or a sixth, I mean, it gets into that level of detail. They're, ba- they're basically yeah, the same I, value. I, I know a lot of people feel differently, but I, I, anything from the fourth round on is the same thing to me. If, if it's not in the top 100, it really doesn't matter. So do we have anything else to say about um, at the team level, about what's gone on? I think that's about it. What else can you say? You know, it was shitty all season long, very consistently shitty. Yeah. Well, there you go. So let's go ahead and get to the awards show um, part. To get to the the awards giving ceremony part of the show is the way the, the order of those words were supposed to be. We need canned applause in. for this. Um, 
Get some award show music. <laughs> <laughs> Steph's Party. doing a musical opening number, just like the Oscars. There you go. Well, we're going to start off by giving the Avalanche some of the NHL awards. Um, we're not going to bother with some of the ones that we don't really have any information for, and things like coach and GM have no competition, so there's no point. But we're going to give the players some NHL awards. The uh, Rocket Richard Trophy is won by Miko Rantanen, who now leads the way with 20 Did they goals. actually take that first goal away so, last night? It looks like it. I'm, okay. I'm looking at the stats right now. He's back down to 20. I, okay. I just wanted to make sure. Yep. 20 whole goals leads the way for the Colorado Avalanche. So, well done to Miko, but good lord <laughs> to the rest of you. <laughs> The Art Ross for top point scorer goes to Nathan McKinnon, Woo! who had 53 points. He got his he got his 50 somehow. I believe he was the only average You were correct about 50. that. I could be wrong about that. You only had two that made 40, I In fact, think. there was only two that only made 40. So, <clears throat> Barry was close. If Barry had had a huge weekend, he was, he was right on the doorstep, but nah. And the other stat-based trophy is the William M. Jennings, which goes to the goalie with the fewest goals scored against, which I think is interpreted to mean GAA. And that belongs to Calvin Pickard, who came away with a 2.98. Under three, not bad. Right. 904 save percentage. So there That's, you have uh, really doing good work. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad, because a couple weeks ago he was at 911. Yeah, had another one of those weeks. Yeah. So we're going to skip on the the King Clancy because I don't think either of us are super uh, present with what kind of humanitarian work. None of them have done good humanitarian work this year. So. If I'm to be considered human, uh, they have made me suffer. I don't know. They made a lot of <laughs> hospital visits. You know. Say of probably traumatize those kids as well. <laughs> Please bring back the Nuggets. Bring back the Broncos. <laughs> Have the Nuggets bring us some chicken nuggets. And the Master Ten, I guess we'll throw out Renee. I vote for everyone Iggy. else already did that. I, honestly, I think the Master Ten yeah. also goes to us. Not us personally, us. but fans. We'll 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 go full Minnesota Wild and get uh, mastered into hanging the banner on the Mile High Hockey Raptors next year, <laughs> opening day. Not just for enduring the last season, but the last season and a half. Mm. So the first um, subject of award will be the Rookie of the Year, the Calder Memorial Trophy. Do we have? Any nominations for the Avalanche Calder winner? Uh, I'm going to second that. You cut out real bad. Yeah, I nominate Miko Rantanen. Was that Miko that you said? It's a dark horse pick, but I think it's got <laughs> Do we got need legs. to nominate anybody else? Is that necessary? No, that's, that's consensus. Um we could throw an honorable mention. I was going to say, I think you know, there's Comfort. some other guys that deserve a mention. I think Comfort deserves a mention. Um, 
I, I even think, even though he kind of tailed off at the end, Anton Lindholm deserves a little bit of a mention. Right. Uh, but nothing close to Miko Rantanen's 75 games, you know, and 20 goals. Uh, that's a heck of a rookie season, especially for this team. You know, they'd been able to score at, you know, an even average NHL rate. We're probably looking at 25 goals for him, which, uh, you know, if you're not Austin Matthews, that's a pretty good year. I mean, he only had 20 goals, but he, I mean, the way that he scored some of the, the goals, I mean, his final goal was a work of art. Um, you know, that, that move and then managing to elevate it, which no one on the team seems to be able to do anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that was a really Sunday. nice goal. I mean, the, the one-timers when he scored uh, two a couple of nights ago, or, was a week week or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, had a nice hat trick. You know, he, he did some good things. I, <clears throat> if if I was gonna put a little shade on him, I'd say he's a little inconsistent. Uh, but still, I, I think there's just nothing but smiles ahead with that kid. Right. I just love the variety in which he does score. I mean, he just does it in so many different ways. Yeah. I want to see this team get better because I think he's just going to get that much better with the team. And it's been really nice to see um, his output kind of grow over the course of the season, too. Because, I mean, at the beginning of the year, it's not like he was 18-year-old uncomfortable, but he wasn't doing the things he was doing in March and April. He was not... I mean, he was, he was a little bit more on the outsides. He was a little bit less comfortable, more folly downy. Um, and towards the end of the year, he was much more willing to kind of impose his will on the rink. And that's exactly what you need. Yeah, I think when that line started clicking at the end of the year, uh, you really saw him become comfortable doing things that, that he wasn't doing all year and, and going to areas that he wasn't going to um, for most of the year. Um, you know, when you see him able to score a, a goal like his final one right in front of the goalie, but also be able to do a one-timer. Um, you know, he's got a good shot, but he can also bull his way in there down low. Um, he's, he's very versatile. His positioning's just uh, so spot on for a young player on this team because we don't otherwise see that. I mean, he's taking face-offs on one circle, getting to one position, getting to another, and everywhere he goes is a decent-looking scoring chance. So yeah. I'm looking forward to what's happening next year. The lone bright spot takes home our Calder Trophy. Let's look. Um, let's, let's keep it amongst the forwards and look at the Selkie Trophy. Who are we going to consider the Avalanche top defensive forward? Hmm. <laughs> <coughs> uh. Now you know at the NHL wide level they generally give this to the to the like to you know, Bergeron, and then the other nominees are like. Offensive-minded players with good face-off Right. Percentage. Well, face-off percentage is definitely a category the Avalanche shown in this year. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to throw it out there, but I think both Nathan McKinnon and Matt Duchesne made really good strides defensively this year, and none of it showed up on the score sheet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know, I'm kind of split between those two. I'll give it to McKinnon. 
And, you know, the, the way he's been playing uh, on the penalty kill, uh, I just think he's made a lot of strides in his 21-year-old season. I, I think he's he's made strides. I think he's still not that great. Um, it's a small sample size, but I think Comfer is better than both of them. Yep. I think Comfer may one day be at least a nominee for the Selkie, but the real one in the NHL. And if I'm in a position for a tie-breaking vote, I am also inclined to throw it to Comfer with the giant asterisk of of him not having been here for very many games. Yeah. <laughs> Defense well, I mean, is, I a, can... uh, is a team is a team concept, and this team gave up a whole lot of goals. So. <laughs> Defensive award winners are a little bit few and far between. You know, I, I got to watch comps in San Antonio most of the year, and I got to watch him go from not great defensively in the beginning part of the year. Um, and, and some of that was usage just because he was on the top scoring line and they were used very offensively, uh, kind of sheltered. Um, but he kind of grew into really becoming stout defensively, taking faceoffs late in the games and stuff. And I, I think that's a lot of why the Avalanche wanted to get him up into the NHL. And, you know, it, it took a few games, but he, you know, he, he was right in it after that. Um, <laughs> Very stout defensively. It's a dumb stat, but he's one of two players on the Colorado Avalanche with a plus-minus of zero or better. Well, there you go. (laughs) While we still have defense on the brain, um, let's turn to the Norris. And I think that the nominees for the Norris should be pretty clear-cut. I think this is going to be split between Tyson Berry Eric Johnson and Nikita Zadorov. Oh, Eric Johnson is by far the best defenseman on this team. Uh, he gets by vote, hands down. I don't know. I could be like everyone else and just vote for Barry because he had the most points, but that, well, that depends. That depends. <laughs> is this going to be a the defenseman with the most points voting year? Or is this going to be a starting in October? Oh, well, this is Dowdy's year kind of year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, there, there's so many pluses and minuses to all three of those guys that it, it's really tough. Um, I think Zadorov could have pushed for it if he hadn't broken. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to give him like a most improved award. Um, yeah, I mean, if he had scored you know, even one goal. You know, if he, if he had had just a little bit more <laughs> offensive output. I mean, 10 assists is nice for the amount of games he played. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, but, and and he came real, like, he had a couple goals taken away, or, you know, someone like Rennie just got a his shirt tip on it. Something like that. But, got a freaking blade on it. Yeah. What an asshole scoring goals off his puck. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I, I think, you know, I, I think he's going to be in the conversation for years to come, obviously. Um, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think the, the most telling factor is how much better the defense looked with EJ in the lineup just because people weren't playing out of position so much. Yep. 
but I don't. Th- I think we can't discount his ability. This team's just yeah. so much better with him in the lineup, and they just fell to utter shit in the middle of the year when he was out. No, I mean that and overtime then, goal the other night. I mean, whew, you know, it's like yeah. when you see Eric Johnson doing stuff like that, you're just like, Shh. you know, the the man's a menace. He's awesome. Well, that's that's another consensus pick for us. Um, Eric Johnson wins the Avalanche Vesna, um, Vesna Norris Avalanche Norris with some. Uh, some healthy competition, but at the end of the day, it's still a consensus pick. So speaking of the Vesna, um, that kind of has to go to Calvin Pickard, I think. Yeah. I don't really have a choice. I mean, Varlamov, you know, wasn't present, and Jeremy Smith is not an NHL goalie. Um, I think Calvin Pickard wins by attrition. <laughs> Calvin Pickard, yeah. by default, you're a Vesna Trophy winner for the Avalanche. <laughs> Yeah, he was putting it, you know, he was put in a bad situation like everyone else, you know. I mean, he did some good things. We were, if we just remember those, you know, that's a Vesna season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's an Avalanche Vesna season. On like easily the worst goaltending team. It's an Avalanche Vesna season. Just think where they would be without Kelvin Pickard. Well, shoot, if he wasn't That's... able to start 50 games this year, I guess he started 48 and played 50, where would this team be? I mean, if he had been hurt for any stretch of time, I mean, that's... <laughs> it would have been the Jeremy Smith, Spencer Martin, Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. I mean, they might have had to sign, uh, what's his name? Ken Simpson. You right. Know, who, who I would say is probably... <clears throat> He might have been – he was probably neck and neck with Jeremy Smith as far as how they played with the Rampage. Um, Smith was a better story as far as getting called up and sitting on the bench all the time. So there's that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it could have been ugly. Yeah. So shout out to Calvin Pickard for keeping the bleeding slow. <laughs> Instead of daily hemorrhages. Which Avalanche player um, would we award with the Pavel Datsuk? I mean, the Lady Bing Award. This is this, and I quote: "Is the player who exhibited the best type of sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct, combined with a high standard of playing ability, and in practice at the NHL Awards, goes to your scoring forward with the least penalty minutes." Um, Joe so it does have to be a forward. Is that correct? And I don't think it has to be a forward. It says player. So I guess if you How want to give it to a Joe Colborn for not flattening Alexi Yemlin's plate in his skull <laughs> after that vile hit. That was pretty sportsmanlike. <laughs> for not turning yeah. around and just killing him. <laughs> yeah, I don't buy into the whole like least penalty minutes argument. I kind of think that sucks for the most part every year. Um, I'm going to give this to Nikita Zadorov for getting pounced on every game by, you know, scores of desperate opponents and not fighting back and still getting penalized for it. Okay. How's that for a nomination? <laughs> I get it. I, I, I get it. Yeah. I think, I think what I'll do is I'll, I'm going to give it to Calvin for not going just batshit crazy and killing one of his defensemen this year. <laughs> that is also a great nomination. See, I, I think that we might want to um, 
also keep it on the back end and have keep an eye towards Francois Beauchemin, who quite gentlemanly handed goals to the other team repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> He's a giving sort. Yeah, that's not kind. <laughs> Obviously, if we were giving out the NHL awards, this would go to Matt Duchesne, who had like twelve penalty minutes and led the way for forwards with fewest. Um, but that would also be a large marker of his disinterest throughout the spring. So we can split it between uh, between you guys' picks if you can't agree. I'll go with Matt. Why not? Sure. I want to give Matthew Shane an award. Might yeah, be the last time I get to do so. And that leaves um, the Hart Memorial Trophy, the most valuable player. But before we get to that... You guys have some pretty good suggestions for awards as well. Um, the passenger year, uh, passenger of the year, you guys voted loudly in favor of Carl Soderberg. Carl Soderberg, your passenger of the year, which is defined as the least likely to be driving at any time because they are in the passenger seat. <laughs> Thank you, Carl, for your 14 points in 80 games. <laughs> That's one hell of a contract, and hopefully next season we see some big changes. All right, we have, I think, a clear top two for our next award, and this is going to be the player with the best flow per 60. This, if you're not up on the uh, the way that the hockey kids speak these days, that's a hair question. Who has the best hair? If, you, if you're not down with the half slapper top, top chatter or whatever, it's a, it's a hair question. <laughs> so, so this is going to come down to... Gabe Landeskog versus... The perennial favorite. The perennial favorite versus Mark Barbario, the challenger. The, the dark horse newcomer. <laughs> I mean, well, Barbario's got serious, serious hair game. And he, you know, makes that known every time he takes a penalty and takes that water bottle in the penalty box and just goes to town on that flow. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it's it's a toughie. Um, you know, I've, I've got Swedish blood, but I, I, I have very long hair, so I, I think I'm going to have to go with Barbario. Dang. Yeah. It's yeah, a split decision. give me Barb's, man. It's a split decision because my vote will, will never leave Gabe Landeskog. <laughs> so, by 2-1, Mark Barbario, your flow king of the year. Yep. <laughs> I just love the way you play defense too much. I'm going to like the hair too. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah. What a revelation Barbario was. Wait, you mean you can not suck at the blue line and without being a great player? That's amazing. <laughs> Move the puck forward with, you know, general competence. I, I thought your options were top pairing defenseman or punter. Now, my, my favorite thing about Barbario is he didn't always make the right decision, but he always made a quick one. And I, <laughs> I, I think that's actually a very good quality. Because even if you make a bad decision quickly, it's easier for your guys to you know, deal with it and harder for the opposition to capitalize on it. At least it's, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of sort of funky bad passes he made quickly turn into goals like you know a fetter tootin pass that you could see coming from six miles away seven 
Fedorchuk leading the rush a couple of times in the last month. It's, it's going to be scarred into my brain forever. Um, but the discovery of Barbario, the discovery of Sven Ghetto, both very nice moments for the Avalanche this season. What were your favorite moment slash play of the year? <clears throat> we are going to do least favorite one as well, is that correct? Yes, that that is correct. That's coming. Spoilers. Okay. My favorite play of the year was when Zadarov just went nuts on Winnipeg. Oof. That was just—I don't know—it it was just fantastic to watch. And it's you know it's so easy to dominate a goal for this, but I I just loved how he kind of took over and controlled that game without scoring a goal or creating points, even even though the Avalanche ended up winning. Um, you know that was that was just a great display of a guy being able to use his physicality in a way that helps his team win a game that's a great nomination but uh i'm gonna go for the most condor like moment when eric johnson took that puck in his own end and willed himself down the ice and there was nothing anyone could do about it you could almost just tell the first push off his first skate that that puck was going in the net and uh that will and determination just seals it for me it's my favorite play of the year. That overtime goal the other night? Yep. Yeah. Maybe That's it's just the most fresh on my mind, but that one was just awesome. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of recency bias to this question for sure. Um, because the, the two things that come to mind for me were also very recent. Um, I, the, what, Nathan McKinnon splitting the defense, I think it was earlier yep. this week, came to mind. But... See, I wanted to nominate that one, but he screwed that up so many times throughout the year that I can't <laughs> like the, the success enough. But instead, I think that I want to throw my nomination in the direction of Calvin Pickard um, because I really think the most exciting thing that happened all season was that overtime against Dallas. No. Who was it against? Was it against Dallas? It was in the last like, week or two, and it was absolutely... St. Louis, that's who it was. Yeah. And Tarasenko just sniping on him, and he's just like, nah. And suddenly Calvin Pickard was like some crazy amalgam of Carey Price and Dominic Koshik, and that was the best he's ever played, and it was incredible. And I remember watching that over time, just like, imagine if this game meant anything. <laughs> it was such a fun moment, and Pickard was so out of this world. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's also a good nomination. That was Joe's first game, yeah. Oh, that, and he, yeah, Joe's with a shootout attempt. That was just every every Grandpa Joe's moment gets an honorable mention from me. That's true too. Um, let's just dive into that. Speak while we're on the subject. How do we feel about Tyson Joe's going forward? I don't think he spends a minute on the rampage. No. I, there's no reason for that at all. Um, I think he's playing, you know, a middle six center position starting next year. Yeah. I mean, I can't say he was all that impressive in the, in the six games that he played, but he showed enough that I, I think he's the kind of guy, he sort of, uh, sort of reminds me of Chris Bigra as a guy that, that really needs to, to look at stuff and contemplate it and and improve on what he sees out there. 
and I, I think the six games that he got at the end of the season are really going to help him beginning next year. And he, there's just no reason for him to play in the AHL. Right. He's going to get like the Nathan McKinnon work out with me treatment, you know, this mm-hmm. summer too. And that's going to help him out quite a bit. But uh, he's the guy that, you know, what he needs to learn is needs to be learned at the NHL level. Okay, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I, I I, I think what I saw was just a little bit of sort of, I'm not going to say tentativeness, but it's just sort of like he, he, I think he saw the game quickly enough that he can be successful, but it, it was just so new that he wasn't quite sure what to, to do with what he saw yet. Um, but I think that's going to come rather quickly. You know, there was one awesome moment that we forgot. And it's easy to forget because it happened a really long time ago. Um, remember when Joe Colborn had a hat trick? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when he kept it up all season long? Oh, wait. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, so let's hand out the Razzies. What would be your worst plays of the year? I mean, there's one that we probably should just get out of the way early. That belongs to one Blake Como who... <laughs> had a breakaway goal all to himself and for some reason decided to turn around and try to pass it to a trailer <laughs> <laughs> right at point blank range and ends up coughing up the puck in the process. A trailer that, who was defended. <laughs> uh, that is going to be, that's going to go down as the worst play of this entire NHL season for any team. That's going to make not top 10 lists for a long time. And it's a perfect metaphor for the whole season, too. It really is. Um, I, there's, I, I'm going to nominate a couple of others that I, I totally agree that that should be the worst play of the season. But um, the two challenge calls that we endured over the past couple of weeks in Chicago and Minnesota, against Minnesota... Um, yeah, those were just ridiculous. The challenge call against Chicago in which the NHL invented rules in its explanation of the call. <laughs> he wasn't touching the puck at the time. <laughs> if you actually look at the offside rule, you'll notice that doesn't fit in the rule anywhere. Yeah. You're it's interpretation. You're bullshitting and you're trying to give points to the teams whose fan bases still have something to root for, and I see through you. And and the wild thing, you know, if you need what two plays to call a play, um, shit's broken. If you've already replayed something, how can you go back and overturn that? What are you yeah. saying about the previous replay? You know, I, I mean, it's just <laughs> it just shows us. I, I am. I hate replay for anything other than seeing if the puck went across the goal line. And yeah. I know a lot of people love absolutes and, and think there's absolute truth out there. I don't believe in that. Uh, I think subjective refing is part of the game and you just deal with it. I've know? come around to your side, Earl. I, I just do not like it for offsides. Uh, I don't think it's done anything for the game that's worthwhile. I think there should no. be a moratorium on the offsides review. If the puck comes across the blue line and five seconds pass, no review. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just I, I see a lot of problems coming up in these playoffs um, because of that, and I, I think that's just going to be the impetus for some action because <clears throat> it it sounds like there's you know the, there the the GMs who are the the guys that vote on these kind of things are sort of half and half on it right now, and I, I think it's only going to take a couple of incidents for that to really sour everybody on the whole thing. Well, it's made linesmen call the play differently too. And I think that's the part I hate the worst about it is that they're becoming more inaccurate in real time. Right. It, yeah. just, if it's super close, then you can let the play go and review it later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that whole fuck it, they can review it attitude. It, it makes for worse refing. It does. And again, if, if you only had review for puck crossing the goal line, which I think is a perfectly legitimate thing because, you know, there, there's really no way unless there's a ref inside of the net to really see that. Um, That'd be a sight. Yeah. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you'd have to be smaller than Rocco to be in there, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did, didn't Huberto score a goal yesterday from inside the net? <laughs> Just kind of sco- scooped it in like with a broom? <laughs> But, you know, I, I, I've always thought that refing, it, bad or good, it's part of the game. The speed at which the game goes is also the speed at, at which it's officiated, and that's part of it. Um, you know, if you want to break everything down as far as looking at frame by frame, whether, you know, some guy's skate is three-quarters of a millimeter over the, the line or whatever, that's just, you know, that's not sport to me. Right. I don't want to see everything reviewed. I don't want to see the pace of play slowed down that much. I mean, the reason we watch hockey instead of a lot of other popular American sports is because of how fast it's played. Yeah. And uh, it's just counterintuitive to what's entertaining about hockey. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people hate the way, you know, like, oh, you know, this guy wasn't called for that and this guy wasn't called for that. You know, it's like refs manage games, and the way that they manage games is very subjective, but, you know, they, they really do get it right most of the time. And, you know, you don't want to see a game that has 15 penalties. Um, you don't want to see a game that stops and starts because of 50 face-offs, and you don't want to see a game that, that's you know, people are looking at on iPads to determine what really happened all the time. And, yeah, and there's another fucking thing. If you're going to review the play, give them an actual screen. And, and by the way, listener, yeah. you've not lost your mind. That train was on the recording, not near you. Um, but yeah, get, the iPad is ridiculous. Was that me? Yeah, there, a train just went by here. Yeah, that was definitely <laughs> not me. <coughs> yep, North Norfolk oh. Southern. By which I mean, by which I mean, there's a train coming near your house, Greg. <laughs> so that was a long discussion yep. about the worst play of the year. So I think there's, there's kind of like a, a delineation between the most, like the worst play and the most painful play, and I think it says something that the most pain did not come from that breakaway. It came from we are going to view this again. Yeah, that's the deep hurting moment of the year. It's just—it's something that's done to you. I—I I get it. I understand. You reviewed for whether the puck went in before the intent to blow. Cool. I get it. Then there was a challenge, and you reviewed for goaltender interference. Cool. Review for both at once. It's not that difficult. Next question. Yeah. 
Which Avalanche player had the faultiest controller connection? Who disengaged from the play the most? <laughs> and for all of his Passenger of the Year um, award, I'm not sure if we can award this one to Carl Soderberg or not. Yeah, he would be close. I'd, I'm going to go with Fetter Tutin for sure, though. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you can nominate the ineffective players. Like uh, Blake Como would be probably somebody you pop up instantly in my mind as somebody Same. who's been ineffective, but Same. he always seemed like a, a try-hard type. I mean, uh, to me, a disconnected controller is definitely like a back-checking on defense type of play. And to me, Rene Bork was probably about the worst at that of any player. Yeah. That's a good pick, too. I mean, the only thing that saves Rennie is he's actually decent on the floor check, and he put a you know he put ten goals in, right? Uh, yeah, Feder you know, Tutin's disconnection is a little bit different from the from the back check. It's where Feder Tutin is a guy standing next to the goalpost as his man screens the goaltender. Let's <laughs> see. <it>. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just uh, thinking back to my years of playing, you know, NHL, whatever year it was, and you know, on an Xbox and having the battery die. <laughs> I mean, that player keeps going, but he's not going any particular direction. Yeah, and that to me is Renee Bork's back-checking defense. And if for some strange reason you're on the internet and don't know where the controller disconnect thing came from, just search for controller disconnected Ovechkin. It is too funny. <laughs> it's one of the greatest things HF Boards has ever done. So yeah, we got a couple of we got a lot of options for that one, and I think that uh, we've hit the three biggest ones right there with Bork, Tutin, and Como. Well, you know, if you if you go back to that stretch between you know December, January when we were really in the doldrums, I mean, it, it was like every night there was somebody you could sort of see like just coasting right in after a goal, just sort of looking at picks like, <laughs> just sorry. <laughs> 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 and just, or sometimes like that shrug. sometimes just yep yeah. <laughs> 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 I know yeah I mean and, and the, the nice thing about that is that's something they actually cleaned up a little bit yeah because um, I, I mean I, I've watched a lot of Avs AHL teams with guys that would really give up a lot of breakaways. In fact, um, Eric Jelena is, is is really good at that. Um, so it, it's it's nice when you can find a way to stop doing that because there have been a bunch of monsters and rampage teams where guys just didn't stop doing that. Like Matt Hongelman, <laughs> he just he couldn't stop giving up breakaways. Oh. Which is hilarious, because then Matt Hunwick was instrumental in the Toronto Maple Leafs win to clinch the playoffs. He did the damnedest thing. <laughs> Matt Hunwick and Roman Polak were both instrumental in that game. Hunwick's pass to Kapanen was out of this world. This blind spinorama pass across the crease. So, um, anyway, back to hockey that actually didn't matter. <laughs> we're left with one award and that is the heart trophy who do we want to award the most valuable avalanche player oof uh, 
I mean, the the end product wasn't valuable. So what's the most valuable element to something that isn't inherently valuable? No, see, this is a simple player judgment question, not philosophical. <laughs> and yeah. I will not stand for it, sir. <clears throat> hmm. Our answer cannot end with eat at Arby's. It's tough. I mean, I've got a couple... I've been thinking about this over the past week, you know, sort of like, you know, who on this team really made a difference in a positive way more often than not? I mean, I honestly, I don't, I don't think you, it's tough to go with anyone besides McKinnon. And I know a lot of people just think he's terrible and does, you know, bad defense, spins around makes bad shots and stuff like that, but um, he drove play more often than not, and if something was going to happen on a given night, um, he more than likely was part of it. I, I mean, would that's not a... argue that he was their best player. I would not argue that. If he ever learns to slow down, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Right now, he tries to solve everything with speed. He's kind of one-dimensional that way, but uh, I, I have a hard time disagreeing with Earl because who in the world else is there? I tend to not like to reduce these arguments you know, to uh, players who don't play much of the season. Again, I'd, I'd go back to an Eric Johnson probably being the most valuable on this team in the role yeah, he plays. I mean, that, I mean, that's a great argument because it's obvious you know, when he was out of the lineup and you know the the difference between him being there and not is is stark. It's a direct correlation. Yeah, but uh, to me, that's a strong argument for being most valuable. But right, I, I don't know out. if he played enough. Check this out, though. Pretend that instead of he blocking that shot from um, Sagan, mm-hmm. Mac blocked it, and he was out for that time. What do you think? <laughs> what do you What do you think the effect would have been? Uh, gosh, I think that may have been equally devastating. I, I think, I that's think a it great might point. have been more. <laughs> that's a really strong and, uh, point. I think it's throwing me in McKinnon's camp. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to give it McKinnon. So, runner-up to Eric Johnson, and then maybe number three, I don't know, Rantanen? Tyson Berry, maybe. Landis Cog a little bit. Landis Cog a little bit. He was disappointed a little bit this year, too. I mean, they're all kind of in that second wave of, like, the team sucked and they didn't <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you one thing I noticed about Landy recently, uh, playing with Jost, is he is so used to being the, the first guy back and having to take off out of the offensive zone to go back and cover early. Um and there, there are a couple times recently when I've seen him like look to you know bolt back and, and be the F three, and Jost was already there covering, <laughs> and he's like, "Wow, huh. this is cool! I can like you know I can four check. I could be the F one. I can drive uh, and I play a little the middle. I could be F two. You know, it's like I'm not, you know, I'm not saddled with trying to you know put a fire in my own like, shots." <laughs> Yeah, because there's this 19-year-old kid who's actually responsible. Um, 
And I, I thought that was a really fun dynamic to watch over the past, uh, the last few games, because I, I think that's something that's hampered Landy, not just this year, but the, the last few years, pretty much since Stastny left. Right. Uh, that he's sort of been saddled with that. Well, I guess I have to be the guy that goes back and be defensively responsible for everything. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I think playing with a guy like Jost or even Comfort, if they choose to go that route, um, that really might open Landy up to be, you know, more than a one-dimensional guy. Because I, I, I think that's that's really hurt him over the past few years is, is having to be so responsible on the back check and everything like that. That That's a winger. Can, yeah. yeah. He can't really commit to being – you know, the, the bull down low that he really could be. I mean, he should be a 60 point player in a mostly full season and, you know, 33 points this season. That's just not his ability level. Uh, clearly he is trying to make up for a lot of defensive defensive deficiencies on his own. Yeah. It's just apparent on the ice. So I have one more question. Well, it's two questions, but I'm going to combine one, one more question here. Um, Will Vegas beat the Avs in the standings next year? And can we expect more than marginal improvement? Hmm. Let's define marginal improvement. Um, I hmm. think marginal improvement would be not historically bad, maybe not, the, maybe not 30th, but still well out of the playoffs. Like maybe they are, so, maybe they jump up into the Calgary zone, like the, what was formerly known as the Calgary zone. I just I think it's so hard to predict anything for next year without a knowing who's coming back. Um, you know, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, Dater threw out or sorry, McNabb threw out the other night that there might be ten guys that were on the ice last night that won't be back. You know, I think that that's that's probably a little high, but um, you know, there, there's going to be some change and. Yeah. You know, I mean, we looked at we looked at Tortorella coming into Columbus, and, and you know, you're just like, oh, this guy is just the biggest joker. He comes in there, and they suck a still, and he goes, and USA Hockey looks like garbage in the World Cup, and then, bam, you know, he has a whole summer with his team, and the the Blue Jackets were fantastic, and I, you know, I don't think Bednar is going to get. The Avs looking fantastic like the Jackets were this year. But. No, I mean, the Avalanche are going to be too young next year to make that big of a jump. Uh, no matter who's on this roster, uh, it's going to be pretty much built for a lot of the young dudes that we saw at the end of this season. Compers and Josts. Well, you hope so. And, and here's, so. here's your impending UFAs, and tell me which of these guys you're busted up about losing. John Mitchell. <laughs> Rennie Borg, oh, Fetter Tootin, oh. Cody Golubuff, I guess Jeremy Smith, uh, Gabriel Borg, and then a whole bunch of other guys down in the A, like 1T Matt and Mike Sislow. Those guys were so important this year to their lack of success. I, you know, the thing <laughs> is, the apps are going to have a ton of cap room, and the worst thing they can do is use it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I agree so much. Yeah, I mean, it's like the only big contract they've got, and, and it's not even going to be that big, is, is is Big Z's contract. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Impending uh-huh. RFAs are Grigorenko, Nietos, Andragetto, Zadorov, and Weirkosh, who is eligible for arbitration. Yeah. Everyone so, except Zadorov is eligible for arbitration. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Big Z's coming off his ELC. You know, he's, he's, he's finally shown that he can stick in the NHL, but he's not shown, you know, he's not Char out there, obviously. So, I mean, it's, we're not looking at a, a $6 million per year kind of contract. No. So, I mean... It, we'll probably it, see it, him take a bridge up to another RFA. Yeah. That's I mean, happen, yeah. you know, I'd like to see something a little bit longer than two years. Uh, you know, I'd love to see, you know, a little bit more than he deserves right now for for next year, but sort of something that, that makes sense financially down the road. Mm-hmm. But regardless, that's not going to eat up $20 million of cap space. Nope. So they're going to have a ton of cap room. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there will be free agents signed. I think we're what we're arguing is sign them for a year, <laughs> fill some space at this time. You yeah. know, uh, Re- replace your marginal replaceable guys with slightly better, still replaceable guys that aren't going to get in the way of younger players deserving opportunities. You know, at the end of next year or the year after. Right. But are they going to do something dumb like throw nine million per year at Kevin Shattenkirk or Carl Osner or you know something awful like that? I'm really hoping not, and we'll we, yeah. we'll have plenty of time for that in our summer shows. Um, but it, it does have a lot of bearing in what kind of improvement we can expect because we don't know what the team is going to look to do at UFA yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the way that Sackick should approach this summer. Is you're building a team for 1919, or sorry, 2019, 2020. 1919. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> World War One, the Bolshevik Revolution, you know. But yeah, I mean, you're you're building a team that you want over the next three years to be competitive, and so you're you're looking at the guys that you have signed through that, and and you're determining whether they're going to be able to, you know, play their roles as you see them right now. But you sort of take that as your starting point as what they're going to look like in three years. And then you're sort of filling in around that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think this team will be marginally better next year, no matter what happens with the roster. Um, I mean, maybe call me delusional, but I just do not see how this team can be, among one of the worst in the league with the top players on its roster. I just think uh, with adequate goaltending and, you know, the defense shaping up how we think it's going to, I just think this is, you know, a borderline, you know, third, second tier team. I, I, I don't see any way how any team could be worse than this. No, ever again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the teams that are worse than this, we're structured to tank for draft picks or expansion teams. Right. Um, Their best players aren't, you know, 21 to 26 years old with, uh, you know, no discernible ceiling like Nathan McKinnon and Matthew Shane and Gabriel Landeskog. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, and I, I, I just, I think it all goes back to what we discussed earlier. You, you need someone with some knowledge of goaltending to impart that knowledge to our goaltenders and improve them. And you need someone with knowledge of modern NHL offense to impart that knowledge to our forwards and get them where they need to be to score more goals. Right. And you need a good 
number one overall draft pick that could probably contribute. You need players like AJ Greer step up next year and be ready for an NHL role. Um, I mean, there's a lot of what ifs, and we're probably going to see a couple of trades too. Probably. I, mean, so. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't I be surprised to see Blake see our, go. Up. I don't see our first round pick contributing next year. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not it's the most likely out of anyone, but it's still not super likely to be the first overall. Yeah, I mean it's. I I think you've just got to. There's there's no one that I know that is in. The conversation for top five, that is going to make an impact at the NHL level next year. So. And and that's a good thing, you know. That's something that. You know, you push that off for a year or two, even. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, is that over or under the Vegas Aces? It's <laughs> a I great question. They, I think Vegas is going to be terrible. I think they really are too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I know they're trying to stack the odds in their favor, but. You know, it's like I, I've seen so many teams come into the the NHL, and they've all been just god awful. And I think they kind of want to be terrible too, because I think next year's draft has more high end talent that they're going to look to get their hands on. Yeah, well, I, I think mean, they're going to be drafting a lot of guys on short contracts on purpose, you know, on the expansion draft. And, and I think they're going to plan to be bad for a little while. It, it doesn't make sense for them to be good. You know, it makes sense for them to have a three-year plan, just like the Avs should. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, even, but then again, or even deeper, honestly, because they've got a whole system to build. Right. I'm just thinking of, like, that one guy in my fantasy football draft this last year, you know, who missed the draft and auto-drafted and yet ended up having the best team out of everybody. <laughs> when we all thought he was going to have the worst. Guys. We suck. <laughs> But, man, it's that auto-draft look, man. I see the, the same thing with uh, an expansion team. Maybe so. But, Maybe. hey, we got a lot of questions about the offseason and the expansion draft, and I'm especially a fan of French Toast's all-bar roster. That's a phenomenal idea. Um, but please understand we're already really long today, as is hold on to those questions because we aren't going away, at least not until August, because for now um, there's going to be – plenty of stuff happening coming up for us to to chat about. We're going to have the, the expansion and entry drafts coming up. We're going to have free agency. We're going to have, please, God, hopefully, eventual staff shakeups, even if it's not happening today. So don't go anywhere and hold on to your off-season questions because we will definitely make time for those. But for now, it's time for the playoffs. You know, that playoffs. Thing, that thing that happens in April after all the bad hockey, you know, the time with all the good hockey and even the weird hockey – and the fruits and crap, hashtag fruits and crap. I'm gonna, put, <laughs> I'm gonna put you on the spot for predictions. But before I do that, a quick review of the way the bracket is laying out. In Conference Three, the Chicago Blackhawks will take on the National Predators, and the Minnesota Wild will take on the St. Louis Blues. In the California Division, the Battle of Alberta was narrowly avoided. Anaheim get the Calgary Flames, and Edmonton will play San Jose. In the Northeast Division, Montreal will play the Cross Divisional Invaders, New York Rangers. And Ottawa, having narrowly avoided yet another playoff series against the Leafs, catches the Boston Bruins instead. And in the NHL on NBC division, Washington takes on the other cross-divisional invaders, Toronto, and the Pittsburgh Penguins get the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, 
Which of these first round matchups are you most excited for, and which received the sweet meteor of death? <laughs> uh, meteor of death definitely goes to the wild and blues. Second. Yeah. Screw that matchup. Yeah, that's just, uh, I mean, if you can think of a reason to watch something like that, you've just got problems. It's kind of my favorite <laughs> matchup of the whole playoffs. Because it means that one of those teams is definitely losing. Yeah. It, do, it does mean that they aren't both losing, but one of them is 100% losing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see whether or not the Ducks are first-round losers, you know, with a new head coach. Um, I don't like that team. I'd like to see Calgary move on, but, uh, you know, that, be interesting. That's a tough, that's a tough one. Um, I think the Sharks Oilers series is going to be really good. Um, if Thornton, you know, they, they said he made a drive by today. I don't know if he actually got on the ice or something, but you know, if if, if the Sharks can get through that, <clears throat> you know, I I think they kind of they're they're one of those teams that you know they 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 just wanted to make the playoffs. They they weren't. You know they weren't trying to win the president's trophy or anything like that. Um, yeah, they're very. I think they know what they can and can't do in the playoffs. That's an experienced yeah. team that can make a run just about any year if they want to. Well, not just experienced; they're very deep. Um, mm-hmm. They have a lot of NHL talent in their AHL system. So, um, you know, I, I think if they can handle um, the first round, that they should go far. But. You know that that's that's what make that's what's going to make that a very good matchup. I think the uh, NHL have some vested interest in the Sharks not moving on past the first round. Yeah, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm most excited for both of the NHL and NBC matchups. I think that Washington versus Toronto is going to be a blast to watch. I think it could be over in four games, but I think they will all be super exciting games to watch. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that I'm one of millions jumping on the Ovechkin bandwagon. Let's let's get this dude his cup this year. Yep. But the <laughs> I think the best overall series to watch could be the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Columbus Blue Jackets. That one could be a seven game bloodbath. Not because yeah. of hate, but because of just hockey bloodbath. Yeah. That's I, I think Pittsburgh's obviously, you know, they're 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 right where San Jose. Um, they're they're right where San Jose is. I mean, except better. Well, yeah. Well, they don't have Latang, but um, so it's 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 similar that they've they've got a different position that they're they're kind of missing a key guy in. That's all right. <clears throat> Blue Jackets only shot like a million percent in the regular season, so it kind of evens out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I think that's going to be a good series. I, I think I'm. I wasn't saying that's one of the ones I want to watch early, but I think once a, a couple of the other ones go short, that the the fifth, sixth, and seventh games of that one are, are going to be really good. Yeah, I think it's a travesty that Columbus had to draw Pittsburgh in that first round. I mean, I, I think they would have had a pretty good chance just about anybody else in the East. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've heard a lot of people make the argument that the divisional. Um, setup is is, is kind of bad uh, this year. Um, it's extremely bad this year. 
Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, it, I've been watching the the QMJHL playoffs, and they they go one through sixteen. Um, yeah, one one plays sixteen, two two plays fifteen. Um, and <clears throat> I I kind of like that. You know, I I would want to see the NHL do that with all sixteen teams, but I think conference wise, one through eight, I think that might actually work better. I I, I just don't think you can have sustained rivalries in the NHL anymore. Because the so, number one team in the league is Washington, number two is Pittsburgh, and number four is Columbus. And only one of those teams can even make the conference final. Yeah. That's some bullshit. Yep. Um, but I, it, it just seemed like when when the NHL did seedings conference-wise, that worked out a lot better. It might not have made for better first-round matchups, but I kind of like that because I, I, you know, I, I like seeing a number one versus eight just being a, a sweep and done. Um, you know, I, I just I, I think it's so it, it's a grind if you're going one through four in four divisions because yeah. and it, it rewards your best teams for having the best regular season. Yeah, I think the league should do that. Well, and it's just you know your two threes or in in a conference matchup your your four fives. That would be your most even series, you know, and, and then your three six would be close. You know, it's like you, you kind of want like two really good series in each division, in each conference, and then two blow offs. Because it's, you know, there's too much stuff to watch. Yeah. The first you know? round there is. Yeah. So I'll throw an honorable mention, Sweet Meteor of Death, towards the Ottawa Boston series. Yeah, I'll yep. second that. Fair enough. Because. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. That's a horrible series. All right, so let's pop. We're we're getting or we're approaching the hour and a half mark. So let's popcorn this thing. Who's gonna win? Chicago versus Nashville. <laughs> Chicago. Yep. Same. Who's gonna win? Minnesota versus St. Louis. Uh, Minnesota takes St. that. St. Louis. I will win that series because one of those teams is going home. Who's gonna win? Montreal versus New York. Habs. Yep. Agree. I've got the Rangers. We'll see. Uh, Dang. Yeah, we'll see. Ottawa versus Boston. Boston wins. Boston, probably. Ottawa's a terrible team. Neither of them are great. good goaltending. Neither neither (laughs) of them are great. I can see Craig Anderson winning that series. Yep. I I think Ottawa's got a real chance there. Um, Anaheim versus Calgary. Yuck. I want to see Calgary do it. Give me Johnny Hockey. I'm with you. I'm with you. Edmonton versus San Jose. Sharks. Can the power of beard overpower the power of Hockey Jesus? I don't know. You know what? I almost want to see Hockey Jesus play some more playoff hockey. Sharks can go home, man. Rebuild that team. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see me some McDavid. I I, I, I don't see the Sharks losing that series. Washington, Toronto. Oh, capitals. Yeah. Not even close. It's going to be fun, but it, you know. These are going to be like 5-3 type of games. Yep. I mean, they'll be fun, like you said, but Washington's so good. They're so deep, and Shattenkirk's going to matter on the power play. And ultimately, they have the goaltending advantage significantly. And then finally, yes. Pittsburgh or Columbus? I'm not calling Got it. I would call it Pittsburgh fairly easily if they weren't Latangless. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's that's. If it doesn't go seven games, I'm going to be really surprised. Yeah, I just want to see Columbus pull it off so bad. Um, they've had such a great year, and they've been so fun to watch. You know, I don't really find a lot of time to watch other hockey, and Columbus is a team I make some time for. Yeah, that that that's going to be the best late series, the, the the best five, six, seven games of the first round. I think ultimately it does go Pittsburgh way, but it's going to be a tight one. So there you go. That was your completely unprepared playoffs predictions um, from the from your friend, the Mile High Hockey Podcast. There's a little bit of agreement, a little bit of disagreement. I think it's good. Um, keep an eye yep. on the site. Um, if no one has done that yet, but after I get this podcast uploaded, I'm going to throw the um, official bracket challenge together and get that up on the site so if one, okay. of, if one of you guys actually want to do nice. that that would be great but otherwise i will do that once the podcast is done i think so, I, I think jackie's might be working on that but you think someone's already good. on I, that i i tried I, I tried to throw that out there today get someone on it because i'm on mobile okay <laughs> well if if there's nothing in the works then i will make sure that gets done tonight because that's always good fun just to see where everyone falls into place with their swami powers um and so keep an eye on the website for the post on that with instructions on how to get to the get to the group i'm sure it won't be password protected but if it is it'll be something like dave's red wing underoos or something <laughs> i'm gonna try to not get last place again <laughs> it helps if last year is a bloodbath <laughs> it helps if you remember to make all your picks because people always remember to or always forget to make their picks and then go oh no I only did the yeah. first round. I pick the Habs from the out of the East every year, so I'm always going to lose. <laughs> <coughs> so upcoming shows from us, you can expect shows from us coming up around the expansion and entry drafts. We think that can probably be a single show, but keep an eye out then. Um, and then obviously we'll probably talk about the fallout from that as well as uh, preview and review from what the team do in UFA, if there's major shakeups in the organization, you can expect to hear from us about that as well. Obviously, we will not be weekly during the summer because we never are, um, but it's good uh, to step back and take a break for us for sure. Give us a little bit of our little bit of time to rewind and reflect on what we want to do in season four, which is strange thought. We've been doing this for a while now. I at least have been. You you guys haven't been on for all three seasons, but I've been on every episode. Yeah, man. You're, you're a warrior. It's been a little while. Some uh, good podcasting. Some of it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it up to you guys to determine which percentage is good and which percentage is skip a rooney. Um, but we will definitely be back throughout the summer, off and on. Uh, if there's big news, you can expect to see a big show. Follow it closely thereafter. Otherwise, we're looking for um, around the major dates, and we will see you back for real. Um, sometime around the September area to talk about the uh, prospects for the upcoming season. So this has been quite a tough one to get through, and if you've made it through each each week of the season with us, we uh, we appreciate you very deeply. Thank you for listening. Any other sign-offs from either of you? Um, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um.
at a loss for words. <laughs> All right, so spend this evening with those people that you share your house with because they may not see you for a while as the playoffs start. Head up, dirty areas, and we will see you all next time there is something to talk about. It is Joe